Hey, thanks for joining us on the No Limits Church podcast. Here at No Limits, we are on a mission to make a difference in the lives of others. We want to help people know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. It's a journey, and we're all walking it together. So wherever you're listening from, we pray that you are encouraged and empowered by this week's message. Hello, y'all. Welcome to No Limits Church. Today, we're continuing a series that we're simply calling Different. But before we get into that, I just want to say welcome to you guys. Thanks for being here at church today. Best place to be on a Sunday morning. Man, it's so good to get together like in person, in the room, worship God together and hear from his word. Amen. And if you're joining us online, I want to say hey to you as well. It's always great to hear the word, even if it's over the internet. Um, But if you ever have a chance to be here in person, we invite you to be here in person. It's probably going to be one of the best decisions that you make. And we ain't worried about COVID here. Actually, over the past, uh, I don't know how many months it's been now, 10 or 11, almost a year, nobody's gotten COVID by coming to church here at No Limits. So we're going to keep that going. Amen. All right. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Cade, and I'm the lead pastor here at No Limits alongside my wife, Beth. Go ahead and wave, babe. Woo! Man, I was looking at her this morning up here singing. She's beautiful. Am I allowed to say that up here? Man, oh, you got me, babe. It's like we're supposed to be worshiping the Lord, not, you know, that sort of thing. <clears throat> but here at No Limits, we're passionate about making a difference. <laughs> We're here to help you know God, find freedom, and discover purpose. (laughs) And now you know why we have four kids. All right. (laughs) If you've been through growth track, you know that the primary way that we help people know God here at No Limits is through our Sunday services, what we're doing right now. And you probably realize now, if you've been here for the other two parts, that this series is kind of like the poster child for fulfilling that mission. Uh, Let's take it the core scripture for this series one more time. It's in John chapter 14, and it's Jesus. And he said, anybody who has seen me has seen the Father. The words I speak are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. So what we learn in this scripture is that God is revealed through Jesus. So if we want to get to know God, then we got to get to know Jesus. And luckily, there is four entire books of the Bible dedicated to the life of Jesus. We call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And through this series, we're actually going to go through the book of John and observe the way of Jesus. And here's what we're finding out. The way of Jesus is different in the way of the world, and the way of Jesus may be even different than what you've learned at church. Because we tend to get off into kind of our own ideas and our own ways to follow Jesus when it's not following Jesus at all. So I know I'm not the only one that's done that. Like, I think we're probably all guilty of doing that at some point in our walk with Jesus. So we're getting a course correction through this series. So go ahead and look at somebody next to you and say, get ready for different. Anybody experienced anything different so far? Well, so far, we've discovered two things about following the way of Jesus. And the first one is, to follow Jesus, I must embrace grace and truth. We have a tendency to want to embrace one or the other, right? Some are on the grace side of things and think that you should never say anything to upset people, even if it is the truth. And then other people are on the truth side of things, and they like to use truth to beat people up. Know anybody like that? But to follow the example of Jesus, we have to become masters at bringing the two together, grace and truth together. And the simplest way that I can think of to explain this to you guys is when sharing truth is motivated by love, go for it. Otherwise, shut it. Shut it. And here's the second thing we learn. To follow Jesus, I must use spiritual gifts to reach people. And we did a deep dive into this last week. I took you through the nine spiritual gifts that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And I showed you an example of Jesus operating in these gifts. And if you missed it, you can catch it on our website at nolimits.church. But the main thing I want you to remember about spiritual gifts is this. The purpose of spiritual gifts is to reach people for Jesus. 
They're not so that you can look more spiritual or for your own financial gain or any other selfish reason that you could think to use spiritual gifts. They should be used to make a difference in the lives of others. And I think we've all heard the stories of the well-known ministers who use spiritual gifts to, for the wrong reason, right? To make themselves rich or whatever. That's been a problem in the past. But I honestly don't think that's the main problem today surrounding spiritual gifts. The main problem we face today is that hardly anybody is using spiritual gifts. Nobody's using them. And I believe this is for two reasons. First, we think we're so sophisticated that we don't need spiritual gifts because we got a nice building and the technology and the kids' programs and all this stuff going on. I mean, who needs spiritual gifts? (laughs) Well, if Jesus needed spiritual gifts to reach people, then we need spiritual gifts to reach people. The second reason people neglect spiritual gifts is because we're so obsessed with being normal. Spiritual gifts are not normal. They're different. They're different. And so we run from spiritual gifts because we think that they're going to run people off. But the truth is, we're running people off by not using spiritual gifts because, let me say it again, if Jesus needed spiritual gifts to reach people, then guess what? We need spiritual gifts to reach people. And they're not even as weird as you think. To give you an example... A few nights ago, our newborn was fussy, and we tried everything. You guys, you're shaking, and you're patting, and you're doing all this stuff, and he was still fussy, couldn't think of anything to do next. This picture dropped into my mind of him sitting in his chair next to our bed. And my first thought was, that won't work. That's a stupid idea. And then I remembered my message from last week, and I was like, you know what? Maybe this is a word of knowledge. I'm going to try it out. So I sat his little chair next to our bed and sat him in it. Guess what happened? Quiet. He sat there calmly and just looked around for 30 to 45 minutes until he was hungry, and then he ate, and then he went to bed. It was awesome. And as a refresher, a word of knowledge is when the Holy Spirit helps you to know something that you could not have known otherwise. And I know that was not my idea, because when it dropped in my mind, I thought it was stupid. All right? That was the Holy Spirit. It's a word of knowledge, and it's pretty cool, and that's really how it starts. The Holy Spirit will help you, like at home. He's going to start using this gift at home to help you get used to it, so that when it comes time to use it at work or at church or whatever, you know what it is. You recognize it. You're like, ah, that's got to be the word of knowledge. It's so awesome. All right, today we're finally going to move on to chapter two in the book of John. So here we are, three parts into this series, and we're finally moving into chapter two. John is 21 chapters long, so I'm just not quite sure how long this series is going to take. Because I'd like to get through the whole thing, but, you know, we'll see. It's good stuff. But John chapter 2 starts with the story of Jesus turning water into wine. And we talked about that miracle last week um, in conjunction with the spiritual gift called Working of Miracles. And I went back to reread that miracle after my message last Sunday, and I learned that there is layers upon layers upon layers of meaning in that miracle. You know, oftentimes we wonder, like, why would Jesus give wine to people who were already drunk? And it just perplexes us. Well, I know the answer to that now. I'm going to share it with you at the end of this message. It's good stuff. But first, let's head to the next story in John chapter 2. And this is when Jesus runs people out of the temple with a whip. Yeah, this is a good story. Let's read it. John chapter 2, verse 13. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration, so Jesus went to Jerusalem. And in the temple area, he saw merchants selling cattle, sheep, and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at tables exchanging foreign money. So we no longer have to sacrifice animals for forgiveness of sins. Anybody thankful for that? So it's kind of hard to understand the significance of this story, though, until you understand the difference between then and now. You see, back then, people would sin just like we do. They would lie and cheat and steal and participate in sexual immorality, like the whole bit. Everything that's going on today was going on back then. And as we all know, sin separates us from God, and it also leads to destruction in our families, in our communities. I mean, if everybody in our community, everybody at church here was stealing from each other, do you think we'd have a very healthy community? 
No, it would destroy the community. And we're seeing firsthand how destructive widespread sexual immorality is to the destruction of a nation. It's really incredible to watch. But God, right? But God. God loves us. He wants to be close to us. And he also knows that we're not very good at living without sin on our own. He already knows that. Y'all don't have to hide it from him, all right? So he had to make a way to save us from our own pitiful choices, didn't he? So before Jesus... This is where these guys live. Before Jesus, God made a way through animal sacrifice. So those who sinned would have to kill an animal to cover for their sin. So the death of the animal was representative of how sin leads to death. And it was also a substitute for what should have happened to the person who sinned. In other words, the animal died in their place. That's not very fair, is it? (laughs) Man, You see, they deserved eternal death because of their sin, but God loves us too much to just sit back and let that happen. So leading up to Jesus, God made a way of restoration, and that was through animal sacrifice. So as you can imagine, a lot of animals had to be sacrificed. I mean, imagine if we still had to do that today. How many animals would we have to sacrifice today, everybody? Too many to count? (laughs) Um, So animals were regularly sold at the temple back then because of this. People needed animals to sacrifice. So this was just normal everyday activity at the temple. It had been going on for years and years and years. And so, I mean, I don't think that's, I don't think that's why Jesus was mad. I mean, because that was the requirement of the day. God had made a way through animal sacrifice, and people needed these animals. But take a look at what happens next. Jesus made a whip from some ropes and chased them all out of the temple. He drove out the sheep and the cattle, scattered the money changers' coins over the floor, and turned over their tables. Then going over to the people who sold doves, he told them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a marketplace. Somebody say house. Okay, this is perplexing, though. First of all, this is not the calm and politically correct Jesus that American Christianity tells me that he is. This can't be the same person. And secondly, animal sacrifices were provided by God for the atonement of sin. So why is Jesus so upset? This is what they were supposed to be doing. And it's tempting to oversimplify the scripture and say, you know, Jesus just didn't want people buying and selling things at church because money's evil, right? No, the love of money is evil. I don't have time to get into that today. And this sounds really good, this theory, especially when we have a warped perspective of how God sees money, which is very common. In the church, a lot of people have a warped perspective of how God sees money. So most people will accept this thought as the meaning of the story and just move on. The problem is, animal sacrifices were mandated by the law of Moses, and they were directed by God. This was his design. And not everybody back then had their own animals, so they had to go buy animals. Otherwise, they'd just be doomed to eternal death because they couldn't make a sacrifice for their sins. So Jesus wasn't upset for for the fact that people were buying and selling animals. There has to be more than what meets the eye, right? What's really going on here? And if you research this story, you discover two interesting points. First of all, animals had to be without blemish. They had to be perfect. And so that means that people had to inspect the animals before they were sold. Secondly, secular coins were not accepted to purchase animal sacrifices because they had the Roman governor on it or something that, you know, didn't agree with the word of God. So they had to be exchanged first for Jewish currency, and then they could buy the animal sacrifices. So here's the problem. The inspectors and the money exchangers charged high prices for their services. They took something that God had given the people to cover for their sin, and they took advantage of the situation for financial gain. That's what was going on here. This is just just like when the Roman Catholic Church monetized indulgences. Has anybody ever heard of indulgences? What that was is with a generous donation... 
You could buy an indulgence, which was simply a printed letter. Like if I printed a letter and signed it by Pastor Cade, you can buy this letter, which is a generous donation, and it's going to serve as the forgiveness of your sin. Anybody want to buy the letter today? And you know, there was even a time where you could purchase indulgences not just for yourself, but for your dead relatives. So if your Uncle Bob lived a crappy life and you're worried that he went to hell, that's okay. Just buy an indulgence with a generous donation and you can save him from hell. You're like, people wouldn't fall for that. Well, have you ever wondered why the Catholic Church is so wealthy? That's where it's rooted. Indulgences. How do you feel? about the Roman Catholic Church taking advantage of people who are in deep grief over their relative who they were worried did not make it to heaven and taking advantage of them. How do you feel about that? How do you feel about the inspectors and the money exchangers taking advantage of their own people by exploiting what was going on? Something God had provided. Like I'd I'd imagine that everybody in here is ready to go make their own whip and turn over some tables, right? And that's why Jesus was doing that. That's why Jesus was so upset. People were being t- taken advantage of for financial gain. And that's disgusting. He wasn't having it. All of this is to discover the next thing I want to show you about following the way of Jesus. It's found in the next verse. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Everybody say house. So to follow Jesus, I must passionately protect my church. You see, back then, the temple was considered God's house. Why? Because it's where God's household, the Jewish people, gathered. Just like your house is where your household gathers, right? And let me ask, if somebody tried to break into your house, would you passionately protect your house? If somebody tried to hurt one of your loved ones, someone in your household, would you passionately protect your loved one? Of course you would. And we learn from Jesus that we should see our church the same way. This is our household of faith. Look around. This is your family, y'all, our household of faith. This is our family, and we should be passionate about protecting each other. So if somebody is taking advantage of somebody else, I'm making a whip, and I'm turning over some tables, and you should too. If somebody comes in, and they're like sowing seeds of destruction, and they're gossiping, and they're trying to get people mad at each other, we're running them out the door. They aren't welcome here if they're going to be doing that. Y'all, we should be protecting each other. Yes, we're here to reach other people, but we're also here for each other. I mean, if we can't care for each other, how are we ever going to be able to care for somebody else? I think there's a scripture that says something similar to that, right? If you can't care for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. And this reminds me of something that happened last week after my message on spiritual gifts. Someone in our church reached out with the concern that they had about speaking in tongues. And in short, they were concerned that the way I presented the gift of speaking in tongues would lead people to believe that we should kind of roam around and speak in tongues like all the time to each other like just going on all the time in service. And, you know, I did say that you should speak in tongues all the time so I can get where that was coming from. But let me make something clear. Speaking in tongues is how you speak mysteries to God. Everybody say to God, not to people. You should speak in tongues often, but in your personal prayer time when it's you and God. Everybody say me and God, me and God. There's another gift called interpretation of tongues, right? And this is the one that happens in front of people. So if you're going to speak in tongues for all to hear, there should be an interpretation. Everybody say amen. 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 Otherwise, you just cause confusion. And people are like, what the heck just happened? You don't help anybody if there's not an interpretation. So to sum it up, I'm not advocating for you to run around speaking in tongues all the time. 
Are we all clear? Are we clear on that? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. But I am advocating for all of you to be filled with the Spirit and speak in tongues every day in your personal prayer time because it's how you speak mysteries to God. It's how you pray perfect prayers. It's how you pray for things you don't know what to pray for. Everybody should be speaking in tongues, praying in tongues every day in your personal prayer time, not to each other, all right? But at the same time, tongues and interpretation is a welcome gift here at No Limits, and I don't want you to be afraid to use it. But don't just come up here and speak in tongues because you want to because we'll be having a conversation afterwards, because we don't do that here. Does this make sense to everybody? All right. So if, we still have, if you still have questions about speaking in tongues, I'd be happy to talk to you about it. You can come up and talk to me after church, or you can text our church number, like whatever you want to do. But this is a great example about what it looks like to be passionate about protecting your church. Passionate. This person came to me with their concern for, to protect you guys in you know, risking a confrontation. They were willing to do that for you. All right, let's finish this story because we learned one more thing about following Jesus in the same story. It goes on to say, but the Jewish leaders demanded, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. Of course, they were upset, right? (laughs) Because they're the ones that are like really benefiting from everything that was going on. All right, Jesus replied, destroy this temple and in three days, I'll raise it up. What? They exclaimed, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. Somehow, some way, Jesus was able to take this dramatic scene of getting the whip and turning over tables and use it as an opportunity to inspire faith in his disciples. Pretty cool. So to follow Jesus, I must use every opportunity to lead people to faith. You see, we tend to get... Stuck in the idea, you can only lead people to faith at church. And on top of that, it has to be the perfect service. Like Dylan can't miss any words, the band can't miss any notes, or it's just destroyed. Seriously, we, th- we think these things. This is how the enemy keeps us from making a difference. We put off sharing Jesus until everything's perfect. Or we put off sharing our testimony until we've kind of lived it out a little long. Like, I got to make sure I don't backslide first before I tell anybody about it. Anybody? Uh-huh. But if we follow Jesus, we, want to, we have to use even the most unlikely situations to lead people to faith. How about this pandemic? People are scared out of their mind. And then they hear that you show up to church without a mask and they go berserk. What? How could you do that? But instead of backpedaling, oh, you know, maybe I should wear my mask or, you know, you could inspire faith by explaining, you know, we've been gathering together without masks for months now and nobody has contracted COVID at church. And even the people who got COVID that are part of our conversation or part of our congregation that, you know, they got it elsewhere at a restaurant or whatever, like they recovered very quickly. They didn't give it to anybody else. They probably won't like your story. I'll tell you that. They won't like it, but they're going to think about it after you leave because you just deposited a seed of faith into their life. A few days ago, I was talking to one of my friends who is on staff at a church in Tulsa, and they still haven't resumed in-person services yet. So it's been 10 or 11 months now, I guess. Um, so I was, I was just asking, because I was curious, I was like, when are you guys going to get together again in person? She's like, we're thinking about Easter. Um, and you know, most people these days would have just went off on a rant. I can't believe that you guys aren't getting together. In per- you know, the Bible says blah, 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 blah. Right? That's usually how the conversations go these days. And I've done my share, fair share of ranting over the past year, I'll admit to you, but I learned that it didn't get you anywhere. All it does is ruin relationships. So instead, I simply said, you know, that's great. 
I pray that you, when you guys return to in-person services, that nobody gets COVID at church, that you experience the same thing that we've experienced at my church, and left it at that. Use every opportunity, even the most unlikely, to lead people into faith. Now, let me take you back to when Jesus turned water into wine. <clears throat> after we experienced this story last week, <laughs> I remember like after the video that we watched, I came up and I said, I, I don't know why this was the first miracle that Jesus performed. Maybe he just wanted to show that God was having some fun or something of that nature. And apparently that was an invitation for the Holy Spirit to teach me something after I said that. So when I got home and I read that story again, like he, my eyes were open, like it all unfolded. First of all, this was at a wedding celebration, right? Marriage is an example of the intimacy we should experience in our relationship with God. The Bible even calls us, the church, the bride of Christ, right? It's no coincidence that this miracle happened at a wedding because the miracle was a prophecy of what Jesus was about to accomplish at the cross. Take a look. John 2, 6. This is in the middle of that story. It says, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. So these were the, the, the jars that Jesus told the servants, go fill with water. They brought them back. He turned the water to wine, and they served to the guests, right? Well, the stone pots represent the law of Moses, right? Stone, law of Moses. And the water represents how the old covenant required you to wash over and over and over and over again to keep yourself clean. But then Jesus turned the water into wine. And what does wine represent in the Bible? The blood of Jesus, right? Which cleanses us once and for all. You only got to do that once. Just like Ephesians 1, 7 says, he is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. What else did they say? The wine was the best they'd ever tasted. And this explains how salvation in Jesus Christ is far superior and better than the law of Moses. But in Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And some people think that since we have something better than the law, that we don't need to follow the law anymore. And this is how we get off into thinking that, you know, I can live in sin and, and say that I'm following Jesus at the same time. Like, that's kind of where that came from, is this extreme view of that. Jesus didn't destroy the law. He brought, brought you something much better. He brought you freedom from sin. Freedom with his blood, and he forgave your sins. You don't have to live in sin anymore because Jesus set you free. That's what he did on the cross. I don't know why we've abandoned this truth. You don't hear this truth very often in the church anymore. We're, we're quick to say Jesus forgives you of your sin, but we're slow to say Jesus frees you from your sin. But Jesus didn't just die for your forgiveness. He died for your freedom. He wants you to live in freedom. Oh, when you confess which, that Jesus Christ is your Lord and you commit your life to him, your spirit the very core of your being, it says you're born again. You're made brand new. That old person isn't even there anymore. So he forgives your sin and he frees you from sin. And he pours out his grace and his power to enable you to follow him. He doesn't leave you to do it on, on your own. He gives you the Holy Spirit to help you out. He gives you everything you need to live a life of righteousness. He does. And you receive all of this by faith. You're like, how do I get that? That seems kind of hard. How do I live free from sin? Well, it's received by faith. You believe that Jesus will forgive you you believe that he will free you. And then you open up your mouth and you express your faith by saying, Jesus, I'm yours. Y'all, this works. When you truly give your life to Jesus, you are truly made free from sin. I've played the game. I grew up in church and I said that I believed in Jesus, but really I was just kind of following what my parents did, doing what my parents done. And I didn't have freedom. And so that's kind of why we abandoned the scripture because we know so many people out there who say that they believe in Jesus, but they don't have freedom 
But when you really devote your life to Jesus, when you really choose to follow Jesus, I'm following your way, you don't get it perfect, but you become free. He sets you free from your deepest bondage. He sets you free from all those regrets. He wants you free. Is there anybody in here who would like to do that today? Who would like to say, I'm choosing today to follow Jesus? Just raise your hand. Be bold. You're in here with a group of people of faith. Awesome. Amen. I choose to follow Jesus. And you all know that water baptism is a visual representation of what happens whenever you choose to follow Jesus and you submit your life to him. You go down into the water, just like Jesus went down into the grave, right? You leave your old life behind. Your old life is just put to death. That sinful nature is put to death and you come out brand new, brand new. You're born again with your new life in Christ. So all this has already happened in your spirit whenever you gave your life to Jesus. All baptism is, is a visual representation. It just helps us to understand what went on on the inside. Well, y'all, if you gave your life to Jesus today, uh, we, we celebrate with you. There's a new journey that's ahead of you. We want to walk that journey out with you just like we're doing with Ben right now. Okay. But we can't support you if we don't know, so we just ask that you text us and tell us. By uh, Our number is 918-373-9883. You can text anything to that number, and we'll get it. If they want to let you know that they'll be out taking pictures in the lobby here shortly, so all the families can get together and take pictures out there where all the balloons are. Just a few things to wrap up here before we go. This past week, I met with our advisory board here at No Limits, and we reviewed the financial reports from last year. And you know what's amazing? We didn't experience any sort of financial deficit last year in the middle of a pandemic. We actually experienced an increase throughout the year. And on top of this, we sent an extra $15,000 to Mexico last year to help them buy a truck. And no special donation was taken for that. That just comes out of your all's generosity throughout the year through tithes and offerings. And that's really awesome. It's, you guys are such a generous church. And I just want to say thank you. And I look forward to what uh, God's going to do through us this year. He always does something more. It's like, can he do more than that? You better know that he can. If you'd like to give today and you're giving by cash or check, just raise your hand and one of our ushers will bring you an offering envelope. Or you can give online anytime. And how you do that is you uh, type in nolimits.fyi into the browser on your phone, tablet, computer. There's a uh, giving button there. It'll get you where you need to go. Thank you so much for joining us. And a special thanks to those that give in to our ministry. It's because of your generous giving that we're able to lead people to Jesus and make a difference all around the world. If you're ready to give, head to your browser and type nolimits.fyi into the address bar. And if you were encouraged by this podcast, then hit that share button and pass it on so that others can be encouraged as well. Or you can even take a screenshot and share it on your social stories. Thanks again for listening. Now let's go make a difference.